Welcome to Narratives of Asia. This episode is part of a collaboration between UCL African Conference and UCL Asiatic Affairs, where students and professionals get around the table to connect and talk about Asia-Africa relations, specifically through the lens of China's influence and impact on Africa. In this collaboration, we seek to open constructive conversations on geopolitics and history that tie the two continents together. Hello everyone, welcome to the second episode of our collaboration between UCL African Conference and UCL Asiatic Affairs. As part of our mini podcast series on China-Africa relations, in our second episode, we will be looking further at China's Belt and Road Initiative, or BRI for short, and its implications for Africa. I'm Angela, Publications Officer at UCL Asiatic Affairs and second year European Social and Political Studies student at UCL, and I'll be the moderator for this discussion. Joining me today is Min Jing, one of the writers from our writers group at Asiatic Affairs, and I'm joined by Larissa, Stephen and Lisa from the UCL African Conference. If I could ask you all to please introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Larissa. I'm a second year law student at UCL and I am part of the logistics team of UCLAC and um, I'm from Cameroonian background. Hi, I'm Stephen. I'm currently a second year mechanical engineering student at UCL. Um, I'm from Nigeria originally and I'm the co-executive of the UCL Africa Conference. Hi, I'm Lisa. I'm a second year law student and I'm also co-executive of UCL Afro Conference and I'm also of Nigerian descent. Um, so the aim of UCL AC or UCL Africa Conference was really to discuss the development of Africa and the theme this year, um, the first ever conference and theme is Invest in Africa. So do come along and support us. We'll be discussing things alongside China and other ways that investment can be done in a more sustainable way. Hi, I'm Minjing. I'm a first year English student and I'm a writer with Asiatic Affairs. All right, thank you everyone for joining me today. Um, so as mentioned in our second episode, we'll be discussing the impact of China's BRI program in Africa, its past, present, and also future for the region. Um, so the China Africa project is one of the many projects that China has been working on for over the last 10 years. How does the China Africa project compare with other projects that China has been working on? And what do you guys sort of understand as China's Belt and Road Initiative? Um, so looking at the Belt and Road Initiative at a high level, I think in terms of economic sense, it makes sense. Why not link all the economies in the world together? So going through Asia, going through Africa and getting to Europe. So it makes sense from an economic perspective. I'd say the methods that they use in terms of, I guess, uh, reaching that goal is, is quite subjective, personally, I would say. Um, I mean, China did not actually um, erect that many ports in Africa. I think there are um, three or two. There's definitely one in Kenya and I think uh, one in in Djibouti. So it's actually more focused on East African and uh, Southwest Asian region. Um, But still already this one port in Kenya is of high economic significance because it basically helps to this maritime road, um, basically helps to decrease the transport time of goods by um, I think more than 100% or about 100%. So it takes half as long as it did before. And that really ties Africa very close to Asia because of course from that port, even if, if it's just two ports, the goods are transported um, over the country roads all over Africa. So that really ties them closer together. 
whether it will necessarily make African countries more dependent on China itself, I think does not necessarily follow, but it will definitely get them into a closer relationship and thus China will decrease the competition by by other countries and by other Western countries so that collaboration, as we said before, is a term that should be used with care in these relationships, but um, they would seek to increase that. Yeah, and I think um, China's presence or the BRI projects that are being carried out in the African region, we talked about this, I think, in the previous podcast, but just to bring it back, I think there'll be improved interconnectivity and logistics, and with that, there might be a promotion of intra-regional trade and perhaps also global trade will follow. But in terms of things like technological and skills transfer, I think that's something that's a bit more questionable because we know that a lot of the labor, a lot of the manpower, they come from Chinese corporations, they come from China. So they are not actually, um, projects are not actually being fully worked on um, with local manpower. So in terms of these benefits, well, it's, it's, more, it's a bit more questionable here. But I think there are still other positive impacts of the BRI projects in that region. So there will be greater investments and they also raise the profile of these countries for investments, which might result in, in the best case scenario, fast-tracked growth and development in the region. Um, that is definitely true. Uh, so I would agree um, that it's also leads development. But I think what is important to note is that these are not just ports, but um, China officially uses them as dual strategic strong points. So it is not only for them a possibility to use them as a as military bases to station Navy ships, but that was really envisioned from the beginning on. And that is one of the main aims of, or, or thoughts behind creating these ports. And as you said, also most companies um, use Chinese workforce. So for them, it's really about increasing their influence in the region. And I think that is something that should concern us because one difference is, I would say, between Chinese investment and European investment, that um, European investment was lately um, focused on economic aid and investment, but not necessarily on, on um, military force apart from the um, UN armies, maybe. So um, it is kind of questionable what exactly they are trying to attain with that uh, military employment in Africa. Um, just to add to this point, I remember watching a video about um, the Belt Road Initiative and it was talking about one of the ports in um, Southeast Asia. So I remember seeing uh, because the country defaulted on the uh, debt for the ports, it meant that China took over the port for around 70, for I believe it's around 70 years, and used 70% of the port, which like it makes no sense why like, you're using a port, someone else's port for 70 years and using 70% of the port. So like they can't really, so one may argue that like, they they're um putting all they using the Belt and Road Initiative as a strategic way. So they're preying on countries that default on their debt, which means that they can then utilize those ports for strategic reasons, strategic rationale instead. Yeah, I think um there was this thing also with Sri Lanka. It's the Hambantota port. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I, I apologize if it's wrong. Yeah, okay. So critics and people they're just saying that. Uh, in exchange for debt relief, um, China can actually use the port but for the Navy, but I think it has been disproven. I don't think China has actually you know, parked the Navy there officially or anything yet, but I get the anxiety around it. Like It's always uncomfortable to have that sort of thing looming over you. 
I mean, it's open to contention, right? If it hasn't been proven as actually happening in practice, then, you know, there's a lot of um, room for people to discuss and people to kind of share their anxiety over the issue. But I think this links quite well with our previous episode about China's um, foreign diplomacy, because I think in the mention about ports and military, it's um, would you say that it's, you know, Africa's role in um, China's Belt and Road Initiative or the China-Africa project as a whole is much more focused on like military and government policy and very political and economically driven? Uh, would you say that's the case? And also, what sort of like social impacts has this sort of manifested? I think you're actually hinting at one of the main problems of that entire project, because I think you can't say either it's focused on political aims or on economic aims, but really the the problem is for China, it is focused on political strategic aims, and for Africa, it's focused on economic aims and socio-economic development that they are trying to achieve uh, via this collaboration. Um, So these kind of different approaches and different aims will necessarily entail the project or result in the project failing to a certain extent, at least for one party. And I think it is evident, as uh, you will know if you have listened to the other podcast episodes, that that party will be Africa, African countries. So yeah, in terms of social aspects, I'd say that we can't really see it because we're not actually living there. But we can, uh, I guess we can make assumptions from social media. Because remember, over the summer, there's the period where you go on Twitter and you'd see things like, okay, African workers aren't allowed to work on these um, initiatives, like we've mentioned earlier. So like they wouldn't be allowed to drive the trains that China just made in Kenya. Although we can't see it physically, we, we can see like what's happening on social media. And then we can like make an assumption and guess that like okay, that African workers aren't really allowed to like fully benefit from these infrastructure projects that have been installed in Africa. But I'd say in terms of like inter-Asia relationships, I think like um, I remember seeing a video and like people were really like relishing the relationship between um, China and Pakistan. So I remember like people would say like this road is really good for us. Um, it's really going to improve our economic standpoint for us. We haven't really seen that from an African standpoint. Okay, yeah, that, and really, really good point. It is difficult to sort of gauge what social impacts there are when you're not actually living there. However, you mentioned about how African workers aren't able to fully kind of utilise and fully participate and benefit from these infrastructural projects. But on the ground, are these Chinese state-funded infrastructural projects welcomed in Africa? I think they are welcomed at first, um, but I think it's mostly citizens who realise the negative consequences first too. Um, and I think one important example here is physical instru- infrastructure, like um, most importantly bridges, because one problem is that China uh, makes these investments and helps building these infrastructures, but they are not maintaining them. And the governments themselves also don't have the money to maintain them, but the governments are not using all the infrastructure, obviously themselves, it's the citizens. And it's the citizens who in the end have to deal with uh, unmaintained bridges, which really often leads dangerous accidents um, all the time and so I think they welcome it because at first it's a a major improvement but in the end it uh, creates a lot of less visible problems um, that you cannot uh, put into policy papers or legislation but that are these kind of soft impacts on the civilization. Yep absolutely. But I just wanted to draw out one point that um, that Larissa made earlier about how um, 
you know, that there are differing aims between China and Africa when it comes to these projects that they're doing. However, do you think that because of these different aims, is there no solution to it at all? Is there no future for BRI to be a very positive and um, not inciting infrastructural violence project in Africa? Is there any way of reconciling these differences? That's difficult to say, I'd say, because um, the project is still so young. And uh, what is um, one major development right now is, uh, for example, the technological sector is is uh, advancing dram- dramatically. So the entire economic situation in Africa could generally change um, over the next few years and decades, although that is not directly related to the BRI project that could um, change the economic situations of some African countries. And that would then maybe enable the governments to take a more um, authoritative position in the negotiations with the Chinese government in future projects. So it's really hard to say. That is, I think, also one of the problems. Sometimes you have to wait and see. And sadly, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you everyone for joining me and tuning into this episode. If you've enjoyed listening to our discussion today, do keep an eye out for our future episodes released under this mini collaboration. We will be continuing our discussion of China-Africa relations in our next episode, focusing on the wider discourse of China's neo-colonial practices in Africa and beyond. Dear listener, if you would like to find out more about issues in Africa, UCLAC is hosting their much-anticipated conference on 13th February 2021 and we would love to see you there. If you found this episode to be educational and learned something from this, do recommend this podcast to your friends and family by word of mouth or on social media. Tag us at UCL Asiatic Affairs and at the UCLAC on Instagram or Facebook. We would love to hear all of your thoughts on this episode. Again, thank you so much for staying with us and stay tuned for another episode. We are Asiatic Affairs and UCL African Conference, and this is Narratives of Asia.